And if you have your Bibles today, uh, be finding Exodus chapter 14, the book of Exodus chapter 14. Uh, We're actually starting the series next Sunday, but I wanted to just introduce, I think, some of the main themes of the Exodus uh, this morning. So we'll introduce this today. Uh, And the text I want to begin with is Exodus chapter... Uh, 14, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihar-Hiroth. I'm not promising these are pronounced correctly, but Migdal in the sea in the front of Baal-Ziphon and encamp facing it by the sea. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering, they're confused. The wilderness has trapped them. Verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They have been in Egypt. The Israelites have been in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, You probably remember the story. If you've been to Sunday school or uh, seen the movie. (laughs) Um, In Genesis, Joseph actually brought them down there to to feed them and place them in the land of Goshen in Egypt, and uh, things went well for many years. And then Joseph died, and Exodus chapter 1 says that a, a Pharaoh came to power in Egypt who knew not Joseph and didn't care anything about Joseph. And so when, when these uh, wicked Pharaohs came to power, they took the Israelites who had all camped together and enslaved them and made them build and around 1500 years before Christ ever came made them build pyramids there's actually some archaeological evidence of Hebrews who were uh, given rations bread rations for a certain amount so there's evidence that that's uh, what happened to them Outside the Bible, there's evidence. And uh, so God comes to them through Moses, and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, and he won't do it. So God sends these ten plagues, and the tenth one is he kills the firstborn of all the Egyptians or anyone who doesn't have blood on the doorpost. And so the Egyptians then, and Pharaoh then tells them they can leave before God does something worse to them. So they, about two to three million, counting women and children, start the long trek out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And you pick this up here in uh, in Exodus chapter 14, and it says that the Lord told Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. I underline that in my Bible. Turn back. 
I thought that was a little strange. And then in verse 4, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Um, If you think about where they are, and I'm not sure exactly, and commentators aren't that sure about it either, where it says he tells them to encamp in front of this probably two mountainous or hilly sides, uh, hillsides. If you can give me that picture, it'll give you an idea. So think about this before the sea opened. And they are encamped between what is a, a, a mountainous area or a large rock on one side and and they're in the Red Sea in front of them and then in your position coming toward them would be Pharaoh and his armies. So they are essentially trapped and there's no way out unless of course the Red Sea opens which how's that ever going to happen right? But if you look at this, in Exodus 14, verse 2, he says, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp there. God put them in a vulnerable position. That was an arrangement from the Lord so that there was no way out, no solution. And he gives you, and I think this is the theme of the book of Exodus in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he will pursue them, and then what? And I will get glory. Amen? The book of Exodus is about God's glory. It's about God arranging the circumstances of your life so that there's nowhere to look but to Him. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So that's what God is doing in the book of Exodus. He is forming a people who will learn to trust Him when there's no obvious solution to their problems. He's introducing Himself here in a way uh, in the history of of the world that he's never introduced himself before and that is that he is a deliverer. And this is what they're going to learn about God. And it's going to glorify God. You see, there's a, what, there's a sense in which, um, and I hesitate to say it this way, but I'm limited in my understanding so I say it the best I can, but there's a, a sense in which God needs a problem. <laughs> Amen. Uh, because uh, like a runner needs a race. If he's a strong runner, he needs some kind of Olympic challenge. 
He needs something to display his attributes upon. Amen? And so God has a people, and we're that stage, that theater, in which he comes and makes himself a story for his glory. I like uh, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, set my feet on a rock, and then what? Verse 3, he put a new song in, in my mouth, a song of praise, and many will see and fear and trust the Lord. See how he's making a story? So this is what the book of Exodus is about. He's giving to us a wonderful picture of how he glorifies himself in our lives. This is especially a picture of redemption through Jesus Christ. Um, If you turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, I think we can put this on the screen here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 and you'll find this verse. Uh, if you, the first part of 1 Corinthians 10 describes the Exodus events. It says that the Exodus, uh, the people came out of Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea, they ate the manna from heaven, they drank the water from the rock. Uh, so it's tr- describing the Exodus. Then it says this in verse 11. Now these things... These events in the Exodus happen to them as an example for us. That is, the purpose of the Exodus events was to set an example, a pattern. And they were written down for our instruction. It's like a Bible lesson. Those of us on whom the end of the ages, the Old Testament periods of time, had come. In other words, the Old Testament was ending and those things were all written down so that the people that the, of the early church and those who followed them would have the lesson of the Exodus. The purpose of Israel's history is to form a lesson for the New Testament church. Uh, sometimes you hear that uh, the church is to help Israel. I know I see that on TV sometimes, send money to Israel, uh, and we are to pray for Israel, and which is fine. We should pray for all nations. But uh, you know what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 10 11 is that it's not that the church was made for Israel. Israel was made for the church. That the history of the Exodus and the way God put that together was so that it would be concluded in such a way and then written down as a lesson and then handed to the New Testament church. Here, this is for you. Israel's history is for the church's experience and lesson and spiritual growth. God created Israel to bless the New Testament church. He didn't create the church to bless Israel. (laughs) Amen. And 
Paul's not the only one who says that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12 also says it. Give me that next one up. 1 Peter 1, verse 10 to 12. Peter writes about the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to be yours and how the prophets, note the grace that was to be yours, and how the prophets searched and inquired uh, what the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and glories to follow. See, these prophets were writing, in Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah, they were writing about things that they didn't even understand sometimes. And he says, the prophets would search and inquire, pray about, what does this mean? And it was revealed to them, in verse 12, that they were serving not themselves, but you. The Old Testament scriptures are for you to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of the gospel, and that's the meaning of the text. So we're going to be looking uh, for a couple of more weeks here at the Exodus and the theme of the Exodus, which is the glory of God in our redemption. And if, if you find yourself this morning with a problem, you're trapped, the story of the Exodus is to convey to you, and I think here's the message to you, that there is no trap when God is present. You, th- there is no place for despair in the Christian's life. You may have a mountain on each side and the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh breathing down your neck, but God will give you a way out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, the, the book of Exodus gives us stages in the growth and progress of his people. And this is what I want us to look at just for a few moments, how he glorifies himself by extracting or delivering his people from bondage. And I want to give you these stages, uh, and you may see yourself along this this, uh, line of progress here, but the first one, where God finds us, is in bondage in the world. And this is where the book of Exodus picks up the story. They are in bondage in Egypt. They are not permitted to leave. They do not have free will. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Pharaoh holds them and binds them. And I'm not sure they even wanted to leave. Joshua chapter 24, Joshua said, told them, and this is a generation later, he said, put away the gods that your fathers served in Egypt. The idols they served in Egypt. So the the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt and in bondage, had idols just like the Egyptians had. Have, Have you ever heard this? You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. Actually, uh, it's partly true, but I don't even think you can say, I am free to sin or not to sin. When you're in bondage, you're not free. The first thing God shows us here is that people begin with bondage and they need God to set the captives free. 
The, and the Bible's message is not simply turn over a new leaf or uh, just start over again because we are held captive. So the first thing, the first stage is we recognize the bondage that we have when we're in the world. Then the second stage is faith in the blood of Christ. Look at Exodus chapter 12, faith in the blood of the Lamb. Here's the second thing, and that is Exodus 12 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning. See, here's your beginning. You start in bondage, but then what? There comes a word through the prophet Moses. He said, this month shall be the beginning for you. Verse 3, Exodus 12 verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's household. And if it's too small for a lamb, verse 4, then he can get his nearest neighbor. Um, Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or the goats. And then you kill the lamb at twilight or between the evenings. And they take the blood, Exodus 12, verse 7, and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house in which they will eat it. Uh, you, and I've showed you this before, but if you take the hyssop bush, you dip it in the blood, and then you sprinkle it on the top, and then on each side, you're actually making the sign of the cross, the, the, the gesture of the cross. And he says, take that and put the blood on the door, not, not on the bottom where you'd walk over it, but on the top and on each side. And then, he says, you go inside the house, and what are you doing? Well, then God's going to send the destroyer, the judgment, into that night, and those who have the blood on the door will be saved and spared the judgment coming on Egypt. So he says in verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will come near to destroy you. So what they hear is that you're in bondage. God's bringing plagues. He's bringing judgments. He's bringing destruction. But if you'll put the blood of the Lamb on the door on the outside, when he sees the blood at midnight, he will pass over and no judgment will come to you. That meant... They were going to be saved and spared the judgments of God not because of anything good about them but because God's word had promised and they're believing it. Amen? God, they're believing and trusting in the power of the blood as God said to do it. Now that's the second stage in it. That's when you become a Christian. That's the beginning of months for you. That's when your world begins, your history begins. Then there's a third one, and this stage is deliverance by His power. Not just if if faith in the blood, in in the second one, you come to trust in the blood, remember that they were still in Egypt, in the house, while they were trusting in the blood. But now God's going to actually get them out of Egypt. 
So there's not only forgiveness of sin, there's deliverance from its power. And uh, we, we want both of these. We need both of these. And God is not satisfied till we're experiencing both of these. Not only forgiveness, but freedom. So, so he delivers us by his power. And then number four, there's guidance in the wilderness. When God puts them out there, he brings them the, the very next morning after, they, after the Passover night. The next morning they leave and they begin the long journey toward Canaan land. And God says to them, follow me, basically, that's what he says. And he says to them, once they get out and get out into the wilderness, and this is what you have in the latter part of Exodus, the book of Exodus, is that he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle or a tent because I'm going to camp with you. Amen. And y'all know I've got an illustration here about camping with the guys. <laughs> Which was an experience since they all brought their 9 millimeters and 20 calibers and AK-47s. I mean, it was something else. No, really, I shot an AK-47 for the first time. And uh, missed the guy, but got to shoot it, didn't he? So, uh, but I tell you what I do I, I, I did think about it this week because we were sitting around the campfire and I, I left Friday night late because I did not want to sleep outside in the cold when I have a warm bed at home but whatever so I left about 10.30 or 11.00 uh, <laughs> uh, the guys, by the way, brought beans and chili and no spoons. <laughs> so they were dipping this chili with uh, caps off of Coke bottles or something. I, I don't know what. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, the lesson there is if you're going to go camping let your wife pack your bag <laughs> but, so it's time I thought okay it's time for me to leave and I'm about 20 maybe 30 minutes walking back to where from pitch black forest where there's all kinds of animals I know they're there and I said to Chris Case, who graciously allowed us to be on his land that night, I said, Chris, could you give me directions to get back to my car? And he said, hey, just follow me. So he got his light, and, and he walked me all the way back, just shining the light down so I didn't slip and fall or wander around half of Montrose area. And I thought, I much prefer the guide than just the guidance. Amen? 
I mean, he could have said, okay, Larry, you go down there, uh, go about 100 yards, turn to your right, watch out for the river on the left-hand side and the cliff over there, and just keep going straight. He could have given me directions, but he gave me his presence. And that's what you get in this. It's the wilderness wandering because they wander away from God. God camped with them. He went with them and was right there in the midst of them. He didn't say, if you want to get to Canaan land, go 10 miles, turn right, go left, take a hike. No, he said, I'll go with you. You just stay close to me. This is the God we serve. Amen. What a gracious, wonderful, heavenly Father who is committed to us. And in this guidance in the wilderness, he provides, the groceries are there, the water is there, the food is there. One fifth stage, I think, that God leads us to, and that is warfare in the promised land. Uh, There's a place in the Christian life where we learn to recognize and resist evil spirits. And I know that sounds bizarre to some people, but there are evil spirits and they are, uh, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, and we must learn to recognize and resist them. Look at, uh, actually, uh, Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17 and 18. Exodus 13, verse 17 and 18. Pharaoh let the people go, and God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up from the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They had weapons, but God did not let them fight. You know why? They weren't ready to fight. And that's a warfare, that's a spiritual level that's still in the future for these people. Now, 40 years later, under Joshua, they're going to march into Canaan land and fight the enemy and eject them from the land and take the land God had given them through the warfare. In fact, Joshua, they didn't have enough time to defeat the enemy, so Joshua asked God to hold the sun still for just a little bit longer so they'd have an extended day. And God did it. This is spiritual warfare, but that's, that is a level they are not at. So God said, I know you've got weaponry, but I'm going to take you in a route that doesn't require spiritual warfare. He adapts life to your spiritual capacity. Another sign of his grace and goodness to us. Now, I don't know where you are on this scale of things, but but God will move you in that direction. A movie came out, I think it was this year, this this, uh, past spring, called Exodus, The Gods and the Kings. Well, I, me and Jan went to see it. Um, and it was good in the sense that it had uh, it gave you uh, modern technology dividing the Red Sea, and that was pretty awesome. It was a little stupid in some areas, though. 
Egypt, however, would not permit the movie to be shown in the land of Egypt, in the nation. They said, no, we don't want that there. I can get that because it would be embarrassing to be reminded as they are every time someone reads the Bible that there was a time that God humiliated Egypt. The strongest military power in the world. But you know what? He did it for a reason. It was for His glory. And people don't like God's glory. Nations don't like God to be central. But your life and my life's about God and about His glory. And our lives are like platforms on which He paints a picture of His varied attributes. Let me show you this verse. This is uh, in, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Look at this verse. Um, Exodus chapter 9 Verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh, Exodus 9, verse 13, and say, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me, verse 14, for this time I will send all my plagues on you and on your servants and your people, and you will know that there's none like me in all the earth. Verse 15, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. Did God need ten plagues? He could have done just one swipe of the hand and gotten rid of all of Egypt at one time. He says, And if I had done that, you would have been cut off from the earth. But, verse 16, For this purpose I raised you up to show my power so my name is proclaimed everywhere. In other words, Pharaoh, you're not a problem for me. You're actually an instrument. I could have swiped you one time and the whole Egyptian army and you'd all be gone. But I wanted to draw this out. I wanted to stretch it out. I wanted a story so that thousands of years from now, they're still talking about what I did in Egypt. That's what we're doing today. Now you've got to think about your problems. How easy God could solve those things. But He stretches it out. What's going on here? He's getting a story. And if I know God, and I believe I do, and I know His Word, and I believe I do to this point, there will come a day... When each of us will bow before him and say, God, if I'd known what you'd known, I would have done it exactly the way you've done it, and you are all wise, and I bring glory to your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll give you one final verse. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Give me that one up. This is where Jesus appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he is there. He's got three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus goes alone a little farther up, and there's suddenly light. His, he becomes like just shining out in this light, and there appears with him Moses and Elijah. 
And so here's Peter, James, and John freaking out. Because, I mean, you know, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And they're talking with each other. And, they're, and Peter and James and John are overhearing it. Peter, always the first to say something, says, we should build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And Moses, representing the law, fades from view. Elijah, representing the prophets, fades from view. And there stands Jesus only. But the question was, what were they talking about? And he gives it to you. He appeared in, in his glory, and, he's, and they were speaking of his, in the, the English translation is departure. Ah, oh, man, it doesn't bring it out. The Greek word is actually his ex-odus. Exit, way, and way out, and road, odus. Here's the road that is out which he was about to accomplish or fulfill at Jerusalem. Now here's why I want to end with this. Because the entire life and death and resurrection of Jesus is one big, huge fulfillment of the Exodus story. See, the word accomplish means fulfill. It's the same word used in, in Matthew five seventeen. The law and the prophets will not pass away, but he's going to fulfill all of them. Same word used here for accomplish. It's the word used uh, when they had the 12 baskets left over after he fed the 5,000, and they were full. They had 12 baskets left flowing over. Jesus comes in the Exodus story and just fills it full. He's the lamb, you see. He's the Moses, the deliverer. He's the Joshua that takes us into victory. He's the manna that comes down and the water out of the rock. Jesus is all of those things. He fills it full and overflowing. So when we read Exodus, we're talking about God the deliverer and we're talking about God who stretches out our problems so he can get glory to himself and we're talking about a God whose wisdom plants the Lord Jesus Christ throughout this story. So we're going to preach the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Exodus. I just wanted to introduce it to you today. Next Sunday morning we'll look at Jesus as our Passover. And, it's, and next Sunday will be a good time to invite someone to join you. It'll be a good time for visitors to be here. All right, God bless you and God deliver you and God strengthen you and nourish you and help you this coming week. Let's pray and close our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for what you're doing in our life. And thank you that no matter how we feel hemmed in, trapped, no way out, I praise you today that you're God of the Exodus. You make a way when we see no way. And we give you our praise and heartfelt worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.